0: How's everyone doing? Doing good? Doing good? That's what I like to hear. Joel's doing good in the back. That's what I like to hear, Joel. For those of you, if you're you're new here or newish, we're starting a new series, or we're in the middle of a new series, rather, uh, called The Elephant in the Room. And the topics that we're gonna be talking about are things that we deal with all the time. We're constantly confronted with them. They're all around us. Um, They impact our lives, but maybe we don't always take time to fully process them, to digest them. And so we're going to take opportunities during this four-week series to talk about how some of these things affect our life. So last week, to give a recap, we talked, we had a panel come, Olivia and John, and we talked about theology and mental health. And this week, we are going to look at what the Bible has to say about our cell phones. The okay. Bible says nothing about cell phones. This is going to be a short message tonight just kidding, it's not gonna be a short message actually. But um, we're gonna talk about something that I've been thinking about and chewing on for a while. And that's this issue of technology and our soul. So I should say from the beginning that I really love technology a lot. And it's crazy, it's changing so fast. So when I studied abroad, um, granted it was in Vietnam, but to talk to somebody from America, you had to buy a phone card And you maybe got a five minute conversation over really like sketchy service. Um, Facebook was illegal in uh, Vietnam. And so there was really while I was there, no way of seriously communicating with people back home. So I'm so grateful that like now when people are abroad, I can FaceTime them, I can text them. It's almost as if they haven't really left the amount that I can communicate with them and another weird thing i'm only a couple years older than some of y'all in here but if you can believe when i was a freshman georgetown did not have wi-fi i'm gonna let that sink in i was incredibly hard to sit through two and a half hour classes with absolutely no wi-fi i don't know how haley remembers remembers these times well um so i'm very grateful For technology, it's so cool that we can continue to build community and relationships even when we are not in close proximity with one another. Another thing too, so as of 2015, the YouVersion app of the Bible, might be the app some of you guys have on your phone, has been downloaded over 200 million times in over 900 languages. And there were countries that had never, that had extremely limited access to a Bible And now suddenly their citizens had access to a Bible in their language. So China and Iran were two countries where once this app was introduced, the amount of people who had access to the Bible completely skyrocketed. And that's amazing. More people have access to really important information than at any other point in history. So technology is a pretty amazing thing. And I think I could could stand up here All night, and talk about the virtues of technology and talk about the way it blesses us. But I think that we all have a pretty good understanding of that, or else we would not use technology. But um, despite the way it really blesses our lives, I do have a concern for us. And my concern is that in our culture, um, the dollar, oh, (laughs) there's Mary. Yeah, we're not texting in questions for this series, so you have to write them down old school and pass them to Mary. If you don't know what she looks like, she's right, she's right there. Side note. Um, but my concern is that our culture, while being very capable of seeing the benefits of technology, it can be utterly blind to its liabilities and the inevitable losses that certain technology can bring to our life. So I have no desire tonight to tell us to stop using technology or to get rid of our iPhones, but I want us to look at certain things and I want us to be able to understand that the impact this can have in our lives and how we can be wise consumers of technology. We live in a time where technological changes are happening so fast that I think it's hard for our wisdom to keep up and how we process those changes. So before we get into the message, I wanna give y'all some statistics. So our missions team, we were in the UK um, this past spring break, which is really fun. So I was reading in the Huffington Post UK, however reliable you find that source to be, that 62% of adults in Britain resent how much time they spend on their phones. So more than half of the adults in Britain resent their phones. In another survey, Um, 78% of adults grab their smartphone the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning. I think that's a lot of us here, the first thing that comes to our mind is we have to turn off our alarm. (laughs) Our alarm's on our smartphone, so that's a weird statistic. But I think it evolves from that. I might not be alone here to say that it evolves from turning off our alarm and then checking our email and then seeing what the weather is and then checking our Facebook, and checking our Twitter, and checking our Instagram. And before we even get out of bed in the morning, we are confronted with this tyranny of technology before we even get out of bed. So let me give you a fundamental presupposition for my talk tonight, and then we're going to talk about four warnings um, for how we engage in technology. And tonight's sermon is going to be a little different because usually... In a series we're going through a book and so I pick one chapter and then we just spend the whole message looking through that one chapter. Tonight will be a little more topical so we're gonna look at a lot of different things. But um, here's here's my presupposition that I have. I believe that technology makes us more into who we already are. So whoever we are, technology simply gives us more opportunities to be that. And here's what I mean. If you're someone who is an encourager, then you probably use technology to encourage people. You probably post encouraging Facebook statuses. You probably find neat things on Pinterest that are encouraging and you send them to the people in your small group. You post encouraging comments on people's social media. Technology gives you more opportunities to be that. But on the flip side of that, I think technology also gives us more opportunities to be who we are in ways that we would rather not. It can give us more opportunities to be more self-absorbed, more insecure, more envious, more lustful, more unwise, and this list goes on and on. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to lay out four things that we should consider as we're discerning how we engage with technology so that we can be wise consumers. And then I want to conclude with some possible ways that we can respond to this. So the first warning, the first main point is, we must not let technology impact the quality of our relationships and leave us less loving. So if you read the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, you'll see that Jesus had a lot to say about the way that we love other people. His biggest two commandments were that we should love God first and foremost, and that we love other people, we love our neighbors. And he says amongst the people of the church that the way that they will know you are my disciples is the way that you love one another. So this is something that we see a lot. This is the most important thing about us if we're Christians. Um, Here's a quick story that one of my friends once told in a sermon. And as I tell this story, I think a lot of y'all will have the same story as well. So my friend, uh, Pete Buellette, I was listening to one of his sermons, and he started telling this story. He says that he was away on a conference, and he walked up to a group of people who were sitting in a circle, um, sitting on some furniture in the shape of a circle or a square or whatever it is shaped as. And he said that these um, were all people who worked very similar jobs. They were in a similar age range to one another, Um, They worked, however, in very different places, and so they were together at this conference for a very limited window of time. He said the possibilities for what they would have to talk about were endless. And he said, I walked up into that group, and I was shocked to see that not a single person was talking to one another, but instead they were all looking down at their cell phones. And then he's like, do you want to know who those people were? And I was listening, I was like, I don't wanna know who those people were because I knew who they were and I was one of them. It's not, it's not fun to be a sermon illustration. Um, but we all have those stories. This is a very familiar scene that I think we've all probably been a part of, if not have seen. People who love, care about one another, have a lot in common, maybe haven't seen each other in a while but rather they're on their phones instead of engaging. And I wonder how much less, it made me wonder how much less conversation is happening in dorm rooms now than 10 or 15 years ago. And I wonder how many times roommates are sitting with their back towards one another and looking at Facebook, looking at Instagram, watching Netflix, instead of turning around and talking to one another instead of sharing their day, laughing together. And there's this paradox that I think we see in that we isolate ourselves when we're in the same room as other people. And it was interesting because like I mentioned when I was a freshman, if you were in our Harbinate common room, you were there to talk to people because you couldn't be on your phones, there was no internet in there. So I guess you could text people, but there was this face-to-face communication that can now so easily be replaced by our technology. And one of the most beautiful and profound doctrines we have in Christianity is this doctrine of the incarnation. In John chapter one, it talks about this idea that the word became flesh and it made its dwelling among us. And this is the most precious doctrine that Jesus the God of all the universe would come to earth as a human to be with us and what an act of love that he would come and he would share in our lives he would experience our humanity and that he would honor us and give us his presence and both and his, in his individual attention so he gave us this gift of presence and I think one of the greatest ways that we can honor one another is that gift of presence it's the ministry of being with someone with this focused attention, affirming their value, listening well, sharing our hearts, our days, our tears, our laughter, and ultimately sharing our lives with one another. And I can't picture, obviously, they didn't have technology or cell phones back then, but I just can't imagine Jesus talking with his disciples and then just being distracted by something else. I imagine that he made it a point to give people his full attention and now we have something in our pockets that at any point can hinder our intimacy and the way that we connect with one another. We're just one vibration in our pocket away or one uh, text notification away from immediately being less present in a conversation. I think even worse is if you're in a group of people and somebody's not funny enough or engaging enough or there's a lull in the conversation, you can take out your cell phone and you can check your social media or you can play Candy Crush and you can immediately remove yourself from a situation. So where you're physically present, but you're not really present. And I think we we live through really special moments in our life where technology is kind of like the awkward third person in the room can hinder intimacy in the moment. We experience weddings and graduations and even just meals with our friends um, wondering how we can get that Instagrammable shot or um, wondering how we're going to put this on social media later. And instead of experiencing the profoundness and the celebration of the moment, we are more concerned about capturing it as opposed to actually living. If you're a senior, this is just a side note, some free advice for you. My biggest regret at graduation was that I had my cell phone with me. Because you're sitting there for a while while they call 900 other names. You're listening to really long speeches. And so I was texting people and Snapchatting and on Instagram. And then that moment was over. And my graduation was over. And I realized that I wasn't really present there. And it was this sinking feeling knowing that I'd also never get that moment back. So that's just a side note. But let's make sure that our technology, this technology that promises... (laughs) It's okay, Reed. It's going to be okay. (laughs) That this technology that promises to connect us with one another doesn't leave us less present, less attentive, less honoring, and therefore less loving of one another. So we serve a God, the Bible says, we serve a God who's Emmanuel, God with us. So I think what this means, in terms of like an action point for us, is I think for some of us, it means we need to put strict boundaries on when and where we use technology. Maybe we need to turn certain notifications off so we're not constantly distracted by the things in our hands. Maybe we need technology-free zones or technology-free times in our lives. And this is why in this series, we're encouraging people to put their cell phones in the middle of the table. Because at least speaking for myself, I don't intend not to pay attention in church, but then when I'm taking notes on my phone, I I find myself checking email and Facebook, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. And I realize when I'm talking to people, I'll check my phone and not even realize it. So that's that's a tangent too, I'm gonna get back to my notes. But that's why we're doing phones in the middle. And perhaps, instead of considering what are situations where we should our, turn our phones off and on silent, maybe we, can, we should consider when are situations when we should have our phones on. It's just a thought. And now this isn't a legalistic thing, this isn't the law, the Bible says nothing at all about silencing your cell phones. But I think if loving people well is the most important thing to us, then we need to place strong boundaries and restrictions with how we treat and interact those around us. So we can give people this love and attention that they are worthy of. And so that we can be incarnational in our presence to them and with them. Which is becoming a pretty rare thing at Georgetown. Second point is we must fight against technology rooting out our communion and attentiveness to God. So in 2007, the iPhone 1 was released, and as a result, the entire World Wide Web was available to us, literally at the tip of our fingers. And it's interesting because there used to be a time when the only time you could get on YouTube and watch videos, or the only time you could check your email was when you were at home and in your discretionary time and now it is always available to us and here's what this means it means that we are taking in more information than any other generation and we probably spend less time contemplating what that information means because we don't really take time to sit and to contemplate things our pocket our pocket vibrates and notification pops up distractions are ubiquitous and this information this stream of information is completely unending, and in any moment for a potential contemplation or prayer, we take out our phones and take more information in. So now I have an iPhone, to be clear. I don't think iPhones are bad, but I think we need to be cognizant of the effects that this could have on us, and I was reminded of this story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 11 through 12 and I think it'll be up on the screen Um, when Elijah Elijah there's Elijah and Elijah really confusing to say but when Elijah stood up on the mountain and he stood to commune with God and this is what it says it says then a great and powerful wind tore through the tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it says, when Elijah heard it, he threw on his cloak over his face and he knew that he had heard the voice of God. So why do I share this story? Because I think it represents that it takes space for us to truly hear the voice of God. And if we're going to spend our lives Communing with God, living with God, walking with God, it's going to take prayer. It's going to take reflection. It's going to take solitude, simplicity, contemplation, and this abiding daily with the Holy Spirit. And this doesn't happen without space. We even see in the New Testament in the Gospels about Jesus that it says, I think in Luke 5, that Jesus would retreat to the lonely places is what what they call it. He would retreat to the places away from the crowds, away from the distractions, so that he could commune with the Father. And now these distractions are kind of around us all the time. So what do we do about this? I think that the Bible, it speaks a lot about this spiritual discipline of fasting food, um, fasting food as a way to increase our intimacy with God. And I think that maybe for some of us here, we should not just think about fasting food, but think about what it would look like to fast from some of these technologies for the growth and health of our souls. And I know that there are some people in Chi Alpha who um, either gave up technology for Lent, or I know last year there was a small group where together they gave up uh, social media for two weeks because I think they were all kind of struggling in their devotional times. And as a result of this, they were able to kind of revitalize their devotional life because they were able to minimize some of the distractions in their life. The third point is we must recognize that technology can be addictive. So the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 2.19 that whatever we are a slave to, we will be mastered by. We're also told by Paul that we must be careful that we are not mastered by anything, and that we need technology to serve the purpose for why we got it, and not be mastered by it. Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor at Michigan State University. He wrote this book, um, Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. Really good book. Recommend it. But he wrote this book, and he talks about story about when he was teaching in a seminary and these two men um, came up to him after his lecture they looked a little nervous and they asked to talk to him and they said we really need to confess something Um, we've really been struggling with the internet and he says I immediately thought that they were going to tell me that they were struggling with pornography but instead they told me that they were struggling with addiction to Facebook And he said, we just can't stop looking at it. And it's so much a part that when we're working, we automatically get on Facebook and we don't even realize that it's happening. And he said he wasn't really sure how to navigate this because he had never experienced it before. But when he processed it and thought about it, he realized that he was also addicted to social media. And he says this, he says, I noticed something in myself. I can't seem to work for more than 20 minutes without getting the urge to check my email, glance at a blog, or get caught up on Twitter. It said, many of us are simply overcome hour after hour, day after day, by the urge to connect online. And the fact is, technology can be addictive. It can dominate our lives. And I think some people in here know what I'm talking about. And this is a rhetorical question, but I wonder like who here would raise their hand and say that some of the best parts of their lives have happened on the internet. Probably very, very few, if any, of y'all. And yet I think that's where we spend a significant portion of our time. And isn't that what addictions do? They grab they grab a hold of us and they make us think that we can't live without them, that we can't possibly give up Facebook or Instagram. Because then we won't know like what people are doing and it'll ruin our relationships and and I think if we're honest, it's not all that satisfying to mindlessly scroll for hours. And I think another thing that addictions do is they can overpromise and under deliver in our lives. So I'd encourage you too that if any of this stuff specifically is like hitting you that maybe you should consider giving up social media for a few weeks just to see what kind of impact that has on you. Like, What are things that you're gaining? What are things that you're missing? Not that you have to be away from it forever, but that so when you re-engage, you can do so in making sure that you're not mastered by it, but that it's serving your purposes. Like Paul says, all things are permissible, but not all are wise. Oh, fourth and final point is that technology can turn all of life into an exhibition impacting the motives of our actions and cause a drift in our identity i think technology if we're not careful can subtly change our moments for or our motives for how we experience things now when we look in matthew chapter 23 verses 5 through 7 and here Jesus is talking to the people, he's talking about the Pharisees. And he says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and called rabbi by others. In other words, Jesus is saying they do everything for the attention that they get and so that they can be seen. And I think what's interesting about this day and age with technology is we don't even need a real tangible audience anymore. With technology, this has gone to like a moment in the marketplace or in the synagogues and situational things to a 24 seven lifestyle. And instead of making our phylacteries wide and our tassels on our garments long, we can post what we did on Facebook, we can tweet so that others can see the things that we're doing. And we do things that may not necessarily be seen firsthand by others, but we have this ability in this audience to make sure that they are seen by a lot of people. Think. Have you ever wondered in the back of your mind what people will think when you post and tweet about something? Or anticipate how many likes a certain post will get. I think in those moments, that experience is being defiled by certain motives that we could have in our hearts if we're not careful. And here's what I mean. This can be as easy as going to lunch or hanging out with certain friends and posting online, hanging out with so-and-so for the purposes of other people knowing the company that you keep or what kind of friend you are. Or it could even be when we get in a really good time with the Lord, and instead of posting something to encourage people, we post something online so that other people can see how spiritual we are. And what could have started off with good motivations can turn into an exposition of who we hang out with, what a great friend we are, how tight we are with the Lord. And then we can easily find ourselves living our lives for the 1,200 followers, instead of the audience of one, who is Jesus. We do these things so that people will see them, and then these most innocent of intentions can turn into something bad. It's like none of the things, there's not a single thing that I've mentioned, that if you're doing it, that I'm saying that it's bad or sinful. It's not. But I think the motives of our hearts can sometimes be twisted in these things. I think that it's good to post scriptures. I think it's good to publicly encourage people on Facebook. But I think we also have to be honest when we engage with social media and understand that perhaps for some of us, the bent of our hearts are toward pride and our desire for recognition and our tendency to want to be perceived in a certain way. And I think we need to make sure we're being honest about the motivations of our hearts. There used to be a trend um, in my like social sphere, where like you would have lunch or coffee with somebody, and then you would post like a picture and like so grateful for the leadership of like such and such in your life. It's a very good trend. First of all, there are like much worse things that you can post um, on Facebook, and so people would be incredibly affirming, and it was really great. I think that's a really great thing, and I think that's a, an example of I recognized in my heart when I was about to do that, that my motivations for posting it and not just texting that person were so that other people could see who I was hanging out with that day, who was mentoring me, um, and so that people would think I was an, an affirming person. And I knew that to post that would be to play into that pride in my life. And so instead I just texted, Um, that person and told them what I would have told them in a Facebook status. So I would say if you catch yourself thinking, I can't wait to post something on Facebook or I can't wait to post this on Instagram, then perhaps you should wait a while before you do that. And If you catch yourself posting something and then checking 15 minutes later to see how many likes it's gotten, I would suggest checking your motivations and even if you catch yourself processing these events in your life or these experiences that you're having based on how they'll look on social media and your social networks and I would suggest that maybe you fast these things so that you can reorient your heart we're living in a time where it seems like 1200 people or however many followers you have are watching your every move but in reality, they're just watching the self that's good enough to be put on social media. They're not watching the bad things. They're not watching when we lose our tempers. They're not watching when we sin. They're just watching the things that we want them to be aware of. And that can have a really big impact on our souls. In Colossians three two, it says that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Lives are hidden in Christ with God. And I think that that is such good news because this is what that means. It means that our identity is completely in Christ. Identity is in Christ. It's locked away, threw away the key. Nothing, there is not a thing in the world, no social pressure that can have access to that part of our identity. And so it doesn't matter how many likes or comments we get or how many followers we have. All of this is irrelevant because we are children of, And nothing could ever add to that because we've already gotten the divine thumbs up from the Father saying, this is my daughter, this is my son. And as people who have been saved by Jesus, our identity is not in our popularity, it's not in our performance or our beauty, and we can live our lives with nothing to prove, and we can live our lives with nothing at all to lose. That's a crazy privilege that we have. So I just encourage y'all don't participate in this exhibition of trying to impress people or wondering what other people might think, because your identity is fully rooted in Christ. I want to close with a story. It's um, from this book, Hamlet's Blackberry, by William Powers, and I'm going to read the story. He likens our digital age to a really big room. So he writes this parable, and this is what he says. He says, in the room are more than a billion people, but despite its size, everyone is in close proximity to everyone else. And at any moment, someone may come up and tap you on the shoulder, a text, a hit, a comment, a tweet, a post, a message, a new thread. Some people come up to talk business, others to complain others to tell secrets, others to flirt, others to sell you things, others to give you information, and others just to tell you what they're thinking or they're doing. And this goes on all day and all night. This is a nonstop festival of human interaction. He says this, he says, we enjoy this room immensely for a while, but eventually we grow tired of the constant noise. We struggle to find a personal zone, Someone taps us while we're eating, while we're sleeping, while we're on a date. So we decide to take a digital vacation, just a short one, but no one seems to know where the exit is. No one seems interested in leaving. In fact, they all seem put off that you might not want to stay. And even when you find the exit and see the enchanting world through the opening, you aren't sure what life will be like on the other side. And it's a leap of faith to jump out and see what happens. So the point of this parable should be self-evident, that we love this room, but we also kind of hate this room. That we want to breathe this undistracted air of digital independence, but increasingly this room is all that you know. And how can we walk out when everyone else is staying in? And how on earth, Will we be able to process our thoughts and occupy our time without this unceasing tap, tap, tap of information? When I read about this this parable of the room, it's kind of a sad thing for me because I think maybe some of us in here, most of us can probably remember a time in our lives when we weren't accessible 24 seven, when we didn't have cell phones. But if you think five years from now, the people in this room will probably never know what it's like not to have a cell phone and not to have the answer to any question that you could ever ask, just to Google away. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus, he speaks to the lukewarm church in Laodicea, and this is what he says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And Jesus says this to his people. He says this to his people, to his church, not to the people who don't know him. He's saying, I'm knocking. Will you open the door and invite me in? And I think when we read that, we can think, will we open these doors? Will we silence our hearts? Will we clear our minds? for an opportunity to be able to commune with Jesus without these distractions that are constantly surrounding us. And I think, like I've iterated a lot, I don't think any of this technology is bad. I think that we just need to be very wise in how we consume it. We have to make sure that technology doesn't impact the way that we love others well. We have to make sure it doesn't get in the way of our ability to be still and listen to God's voice. We must honor each other with our, present, with, with our presence, with our attention, with our focus. And we must make sure that this technology does not change the motives of our life and change where our identity is placed in. And when we think about our love for God, our love for people, the motives of our heart and the contentment of our hearts and the freedom of our hearts, then there's really none of these spheres that technology does not impact. And I think if we're not able to limit our technology and to put checks on these things for the sake of our, our love for God and our love for other people, then I wonder if we are really free by these things. It's not just like the elephant in the room it's the elephant in all of our pockets, too. Um, Let's go go to the Q&A for a little bit, and then I'll, I'll close us with a few th- questions. This, this is going to be like rapid fire. How do we politely tell people to get off their phones? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't know that I do the polite part of that very well. If you've ever been in life group with me, and you've been on your phone... Sometimes I'll just ask them to leave, but which is bad. I wouldn't recommend if you're a life group leader to do that to people in your life group. Um, don't follow my example on that. That's really hard. I think that this is a way too that we need to put the onus on ourselves as like Christians and like the salt and light here at Georgetown that we're setting the example of not being on our phones. And I think that amongst the people in this room who are in community with one another and serving to like challenge one another in love. I think it's fair if you see people on their phones to tell them in love, like, hey, you're not being fully present right now. I don't know how that would come across for people who you don't have that same level of relationship with to challenge them in those ways, but I would say if it's someone in here, probably just be like, hey, you should get off your phone. Before posting on social media, how do we strike a balance between checking our motives and being too legalistic or obsessive about our motives. Yeah, I think this is an area where it could be very easy to fall into legalism. I think that if you, we're gonna go through some questions at the end before we go into worship that I think will help answer that question. But I think if, if part of you is like, wondering how many likes it's going to get or wondering what people will think, or in a moment where you're like, this is gonna make a really good Instagram, I think I would just, it's, it warrants at least a pause to consider what your motivations are. Not necessarily that you can't ever do like anything on social media, but I think some things warrant further pause and reflection. I'm gonna be quick with the answers, because I can't want. all right. Um, I'll do two more, is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. great. Um, what are your thoughts on using technology to bring people closer to the church or Kai Alpha? Yeah, I think I'd put that in the category of technology that's a really good thing. Um, we obviously, I, I was thinking about, like we should just go technology free during this series. And then I realized that we wouldn't have like a projection, we wouldn't have like a whole lot of things that are very useful. Um, there's a way I wanna answer that question, but it's a long-winded answer. I would say that that goes back to making sure that we are not mastered by things, but yet we use technology for its purposes and it doesn't master us. And so I think that when we engage with technology the way that we want to and the way that we intend to, and we're not mastered by it, then I think there's a lot of ways we can use that for the kingdom. And then how do we step away from email and Facebook? Oh, sorry, this is the last question. Cool. How do we step away from email and Facebook when so m- much of what we do, like clubs, events, etc., are done through these platforms? I think I'll, I'm going to throw Netflix into this category, too, because I think it like applies. Maybe not, but I want to answer that question anyway. I think that one of the things he talks about in this book is sometimes we get our work time and our rest time kind of confused with one another in that maybe like we're resting and we're watching TV, but then we're also like checking emails and subtly doing work or avoiding work. And then sometimes we're like working, but then we're also like binge watching Netflix. And there's not this like clear divide between um, when we're working and when we're doing things and when we're intentionally resting. And I think when that happens in our lives, then we just always feel tired and we always feel overwhelmed. Cause I think what happens on like a typical night, maybe I'm just talking to myself here, but I think this happens to a few of y'all is like maybe you have like a paper due tomorrow and two exams on Friday. You know you have a lot of work to do, but then you go home and then you binge watch Netflix. And then you pull an all-nighter because you still have to write that paper. And then you're tired the next day, but you still have to study for exams. Then you're exhausted and then you're grumpy because you haven't gotten enough sleep. And then you're bragging about how little sleep you've gotten, which is another competition. And I think in those areas like, This technology is not used to our advantage because it's not used wisely. I think that we need to recognize when our times of work in our life and make sure that we're utilizing this technology to serve our purposes in work. And then I think we need to acknowledge when our times of rest are and utilize technology to serve that purpose. So binge watching The Office when you have a paper due the next morning, probably not good binge watching the office when you're having your Sabbath and you've taken some time to have some coffee with friends and you're going to relax, that's not a bad idea. So I think it's all about when the context is and making sure you're using clear delineations from when you're working and when you're resting. And I think it all serves under this umbrella of making sure that this technology both serves you and serves the things that God is doing in you and through you and not being mastered by it. That makes sense, great questions. Um, I'm gonna close it, Natalie can come up uh, for, she's our guest worship leader for tonight. But I have have some questions that I want us to consider. So Natalie, she's going to, I didn't tell you this before service, oops. Um, She's gonna just play um, some instrumental for about a minute because I want us to have some time to sit and reflect So I'm gonna ask a couple of questions. And it's not my intention to sort of dictate any sort of response, but I wanna make sure and help you all ask the right questions. Um, I think that maybe to ask ourselves, maybe some of these things will really hit you, maybe some of them won't, but I think when we're considering what to post on social media, we should ask, why do I wanna post this? Why do I spend so many hours, if I do, on social media? And can I study or do other things in life without craving this sort of technology? And I think one of the ways to be cognizant of the impact this is really having in our lives is to fast from it, just to see what we learn, to see, like I mentioned, what we're missing, what we're gaining as a result of this, and get enough distance that we can perceive what this impact has on us. Remember for a winter retreat, I sent out an email and jokingly said that people could leave their phones at home if they wanted to. And then David Van Syke left his phone intentionally the whole weekend. I was so surprised, but then really impressed um, at his ability just to like leave his phone behind. Um, but while Natalie plays Uh, for a minute or so I want us to ask ourselves I want us to ask God rather how would he have you interact with technology what is he speaking to you about this and is your identity too rooted somewhere else is it too rooted in your um, online persona or is it rooted in him so I just want you to ask these questions to God, and I'm going to say a prayer. Natalie will, pr- will play for a little bit, and then we'll go into a time of worship. <clears throat> Gracious God, I pray that in our lives that technology would not stand in the way of what matters most to us. Pray that you would guide us to both love you well, but that through that love that we could love one another well. And I pray that in an environment where there are a lot of things competing for our attention, Lord, I pray that we would be able to have a still mind and a still soul that we can um, sort through the noise, God, and find how you want to use us on this campus, God. So I pray during this time of worship that you would just speak to us, that you that we would have this stillness and this quietness to be able to hear what you're trying to tell us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.